Welcome to another inspirational message from Bridge Church Melbourne. Now it's been a massive three days, so you've got to forgive the, the voice is a little bit croaky this morning. Um, there's been some pretty significant things that have taken place over the last few days. Well, you know, just one to, to honour, loving to honour people. On Friday, I celebrated 10 years. We celebrated. I'm not married to myself. We celebrated 10 years of marriage. So can we just put our hands up this beautiful woman that's endured... On the 30th of August, 2009, Sonia was sentenced to life with me, poor thing. So keep her in your prayers. Um, then yesterday, speaking of uh, weddings, our very own Hayden and Sarah got married yesterday. An incredible ceremony, um, incredible reception, which is why I'm a little bit croaky. Try to get the few dance moves out there, but I'm no Sam Louie. Sam's got the moves. So. And then Jeruel and John have got the style, so clearly I am old. I felt really woke up this morning with half a voice, so you've got to bear with me. Uh, and so then today is Father's Day. What an exciting day. What, a, you know, what an exciting time uh, for us to be here together speaking about our Father's heart. But before I get into the Word of God, you, know, you may have noticed over the last few weeks, the Holy Spirit's sort of taken where we are on a journey as a campus. It's very unique. You know, in chatting with the other campus pastors, it's very unique what God is doing in this season here. See, one of the things that God has been downloading over the last month, two months, uh, it really stems back from a prophetic word that Dr. Mike Maiden gave to the campus, uh, to Sonia and I, where he spoke about that we uh, live in a place here where people are going to come in that have had bad experiences in church. They're going to be suspicious of church, but they will not be suspicious of love. And over these last few weeks, the Holy Spirit's really been leading us. And, and even last week with Pastor Cherie, uh, we hadn't spoken about what she was going to prepare, but the Holy Spirit obviously took her down that path. Where God is doing is cleansing hearts here. For many of us, we have come in here broken because of circumstances and experiences that we've had, whether it be in another church, whether it be in, in, in family, whatever it may be. But I feel that God, what He's doing, He's just he's mending hearts. He's healing hearts. He is uh, positioning us for growth. He's positioning us for sustained revival. He's positioning us to that place where our dependence is on God and not what the people either left or right do to us. You see, what happens is that our experiences, what they do is that they reach others. See, if I could go back in time and, and, and not go through some of the experiences that we had faced in, in, in previous experiences, whether it be in this church or another church, you know, we would. But then the reality is how could we then relate to, to, to those that come in here if we'd had everything perfect in life? Right, And so I know that what God is doing, you know, you may notice that every week it sort of leads it to that way, but I really feel that what God is doing is that as he sifts out and he mends what's broken, as we limp into the new generation, he's going to strengthen us again and open up these, the doors for us to actually be the church to others that are broken as well. See, one of our kingdom values is that church is covenant family. Now, one of the things that I always think of, whenever I talk on leadership or anything like that, one of, one of the philosophies that I always talk about is that we are one big happy family. But the definition of a big happy family doesn't mean that everything is going to go great 100% of the time. There are going to be times where we're going to let each other down. There are going to be times where we're not going to see eye to eye on things, but that doesn't define a dysfunctional family. See, one happy family is not how you go through the good times, but it's how you grow together in the tough times, how we're galvanized in the tough times. And so today, what I want to talk about, uh, as mentioned earlier, is I want to speak on the Father's heart. You know, that's what the gospel is all about. A, a loving Father, a loving God who loved His greatest creation so much, He couldn't bear to see them separate further and further away, so He sent His one and only Son to die for us, that we may have eternal life. And so for us, the good news is that the Father's love is for everyone. But the reality is, 
that many people struggle with the concept of God as their father. And I ask the question, well, why is that? Well, our earthly experience of our biological father will often shape our view as God the Father. And so I'm uh, talking about significance in, in, in the season in, in my life at the moment. Um, 32 years ago, on the 31st of August, 1987, you know, my, my father made a very big decision with my mum. They decided to uproot, take everything they had ever known in El Salvador. They had grown, they'd lived there all their life. They sacrificed everything they ever knew in the hopes that they could give me and my brothers a better life, and they moved to Australia. You know, they didn't have the benefit of what we have now with, social, like with media and internet. So for them, it was a big unknown. Coming out here, they, they didn't know what to expect. But one of the things that, that, that I've come to really uh, respect with my father, and he's working today, but one thing that I honour about my father is, see, his experience as a child is not what we had. His father abandoned him when he was a little child. So he had no one to really model to him what fatherhood is. And now statistics show us what often can happen is that it's just a cycle that gets repeated generation to generation to generation. And so he could have easily had said, well, you know what? I didn't know what I had. So you know what? Forget my kids. I'm going to do the exact same thing. But no, what he did is he sacrificed his very dreams, his very life to come so that we could have a life that is twice as good as what he had. You know, my father instilled in me a lot of values, you know, about respecting others. You know, honouring people. He modelled hard work. You know, we, we um, with my brothers and I, we get this opportunity to do what we love. We get to work in the areas that we love. But I look at, you know, the qualifications that my father had in El Salvador and how they don't translate to, to here in Australia. So, you know, my dad for the last 20 odd years has worked as a bus driver, but I have never heard him complain once. You know, I look at my father-in-law who came here and worked as a cleaner for so long. I never had heard him complain once. And yet I would find myself doing some pretty good work here and there and find myself complaining. But that generation taught us about hard work. But the reality is with my father, because he didn't have anyone that modeled to him what it is to be that nurturing and loving father, for us came the the, the pressure of expectation. 99%, where's the one? Where's the scholarship? Where's this? And so for us, you know, my, my view of God then became about, okay, I've got to work harder. I've got to work hard to, to get God's. I've got to work harder, 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 harder. There are people that are worse, so I've got to work harder, harder, harder. And so my perception of God was close enough but never good enough. And I thought I had it tough. But then I became a youth worker. Then I started working with people. Then I heard stories of young people that actually didn't even know who their dads were. The amount of times that I heard, I could probably have walked past my dad on the street, but... He wouldn't have known me and I wouldn't have known him. Broke my heart. See, I had nothing to complain about because at the end of the day, I had someone that worked hard to provide for us. And, 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 and the very fact, so we were already set up to win because the very fact was that he never gave up on us. And yet you had all these people that had that. You know, for others, they grew up with a father and they thought everything was fine, the home was fine, and then all of a sudden there's separation. And the impact that that has on children, and, not, and when I say children, I'm not just talking about little children, I mean, I'm talking about adults as well. You know, I saw that, and, and, and then I saw young people that had a broken relationship with their father, whether it be emotional abuse, physical abuse, all these things that I, I, I had been so sheltered from, I didn't realize were actually, sadly, more of a reality in this day and age. And so for me, you know, I, I work with a lot of people that sought the approval. You know, often it's, it's, it's referred to as daddy issues, but it's very common, and what happens is that what we face in the natural 
That's how we see God. We can see God as very judgmental. We can see God as distant. We can see God as not caring about us. We can see uh, God as, as just being passive. There are so many things that, that are based on how we view our own earthly father. But the beautiful thing that the scripture teaches us in Psalm 68.5, it refers to God as the father of the fatherless and the protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. See, God the Father is not just for the moral elite, but he's for everyone. He position yeah, let's give God praise on that, absolutely. God the Father positions each and every one of us under covenant family, not for judgment, but for belonging. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. We worship that every week. It's not about sort yourself out, get yourself right, then I'll have a room for you. No, 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 no. There is a place for you in the Father's house, irrespective of where you are. But let me tell you, when you encounter the heart of a loving Father, you'll never go back to the old way because you know what the reality is? You'll realise your worth. This house, the Father's house, is for acceptance and belonging. So let's unpack what the Father's heart practically looks like by actually going to the Bible. And, you know, they often have the saying, great minds think alike. And in this case, it's very true. Because I, I was actually going to give the mic to Sam because, you know what, the very scripture he shared, that's what I'm reading on today, the prodigal son. Where's Sam? Let's give him a massive round of applause. Man. Let's always honour our next generation. It's so incredible to hear the passion and conviction of our next generation. And so today I'm going to be talking about the prodigal son. And so I'm going to ask that you turn with me to Luke chapter 15, verses 11 to 32. Uh, bear with me. It's a little bit to read, but let's read it together. And he said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, some versions say uh, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father. And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But, I love it that in all our story there is a but. There is a before, but this part comes. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and, and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. 
But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I have never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you were always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and he's found. So we read that story many times. We hear about the angle of the prodigal son. It's a, it's a representation of, of, of where we are as a church. It was a parable. It was a story that was told uh, to, to really, I guess, spark what was common in the day or what would happen. But, but obviously when, when Jesus came, he came to not only just fulfill the law, but actually change what, what perceptions were in the past to change that around. And so today I want to focus on the father, not so much about the sons, although we're going to talk a little bit about that. But one thing that I love about the father is that what you see here is that what he was doing, he's raising his children up to give them better than what he had. Often when I think of what we do as generations, not only just in the natural as a father, but also as well as leaders and what we do when we talk about discipleship is our heart should be that the next generation of, whether it be physically our children or whether it be the next generation of leaders, that they will be, they'll have twice what we had in our generation and more. It's not about stopping it, but actually the double portion. Like we talk about, we look in the Old Testament, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You know, each generation, there was more given to it, or Elijah and Elisha. We, we, you, get the, you catch my drift with what I'm saying there. But, but I love that what the father did is that he loved his son. How do we know that he loved his sons? Well, when you think about both sons, how they treated him and his response tells you that he's a man who loves his children. And so then you read beyond that, right? So when we talk about what the younger son did, he came and asked for his inheritance. Now, often inheritance was reserved for the time when uh, someone would die. So picture this, right? The, the father is thinking, you know, look, I love my sons. They are, they are my most treasured possession. I am so proud of them. And then one day the young son comes in and says, hey, dad, give me what's mine. I want to leave. The subtitles been, been, below that would be, father, you're as good as dead to me. Give me what's mine. I don't want to have anything to do with you. He didn't need him. I'm better off on my own. But note, it was the son's decision. It wasn't the father that told his son, get out. It was the, it was the son's decision. Often what we can do is we can blame God for the decisions that we make. We can get into a position and say, God, I know better than you. But then when times get tough, we say, God, why weren't you there? See, when God created us, he gave us the power of free will. See, when he spoke to Adam in the garden, he said, you can eat from all these trees, all these fruit, but don't eat from that. There is power in choice. Love is a choice. Otherwise, it's dictatorship, right? So in this, in this instance, the son knew, and both sons knew, the other son also knew that he could have whatever he wanted if he asked, but he empowered his children to make decisions for themselves. And so the son made his choice, which led to a father's heartbreak. He didn't get in his way to stop his son because you know what? It seemed like his son had already made up his mind. There was nothing that was going to change the decision that he had made. But you know, I can't imagine what this would, would be like as a parent. You know, my little Lexi is four going on 35 with that attitude of hers. She's a negotiator. I think she gets that from her mum. The other day she was, being, she was being a little bit cheeky the other day and I told her off. She goes, no, daddy, let me make a deal with you. <laughs> Who does that at four? And I said, oh, no, no, no. In this castle, I'm the king. And I make the deals here, okay? And she goes, well, I'm the princess, so I can make a deal with my brother. <laughs> sure, let me know how that works out for you. 
But I remember that when she was born, being overwhelmed in this moment, holding this beautiful little creation in my hand, being overwhelmed with love, right? And I just remember, it just came out of me just as, as, as I prayed it. Lord, never, ever let me forget this moment where I see your, the perfection of you in this little child, where this child has not made any mistake, Lord, that no matter what decision she makes, no matter how much it might break my heart, never, ever let me forget this moment where I've seen the beauty of your creation in this moment. So that when I lead her as a father, I will lead from that moment and not out of disappointment and not out of anger and not out of my own emotion. God's got a good sense of humor. He does remind me of that prayer a lot when she pushes the buttons. She's already let me know she's not my baby anymore. She's a big girl. She's only four. Can you believe it? Anyway, okay, this isn't a counseling session. Ah. So I can only imagine... What it was like, understanding here, because what the picture that Jesus is painting here is that this is actually God the Father's heart for us, right? That, that, that despair, that knowing, oh my, like my goodness, well, he has got all myself. Um, but him looking at his son, thinking this man deserves better than what he's doing. The heartbreak of knowing every single day that he has chosen to live a life of second best than what he had for him. And the reality is that that's the anguish for some of us here today. That may be some of you here today. That the very dreams that you pray for in your children are, are, are so polar opposite to where they're at at the moment. You've had um, your prophetic words spoken over your children, but you know they couldn't be any further away from God than where they are right now. Can I tell you that God relates to where you're at? See, because this picture is a link to the church. That whenever God sees us all sitting here and enjoying the power of his presence in worship and all these things, his heart is still breaking that there are literally millions of people in our city that one, have never heard his name, and two, have never encountered his loving grace. All they've encountered is a distorted version of what the gospel is. Change all your behavior, then he'll accept you. That we lead in with hell, that we forget that God so loved the world first because he didn't come to condemn the world. But we lead in with the, we're already giving them what they already think. Well, you know, I'm worthless. Well, I'm not worthy enough for you, God. God understands the pain. He relates. And in this picture, though, even though it doesn't talk much about the father or what happened when the son left, I just get this picture that the father had hope that the son will return. That the father believed that would have prayed every single day, Lord, let him come to his senses because this is his home. I want my boy back. I want my child back. I want my daughter back. And then we read in verses 17 to 20, that happens. He came to himself. He realized, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. In his mind, he thought, well, you know, there's no chance I'm going to be accepted back at home. You know, a little funny story in that I remember... You know, I said earlier that the kids get the attitude from Sonia, but the reality is they get it from me. Worst kept secret right here. But I remember one day, it was a very cheeky version of the prodigal son as a child. I remember, you know, my mum didn't let me watch something. And so I said, that's it, I'm running away. And I ran away and I, was, I went to lie down in this paddock. And someone's like, are you all right, mate? And I was a little kid, oh, playing, playing hide and seek. And the guy's looking, there's no one else here. This kid's crazy. He walked away. But I remember, like, I'm going to live on the street. You see, I'm going to be independent. And then all of a sudden, it was 6.30, it was winter, and it started getting very cold, and I started getting hungry. Oh, I'm pretty hungry. And I saw my parents leave, so I went and I snuck back in. 
had a bit of the food and went to bed. And, and, and I was expecting mum and dad to come and just like get out. They just came in and they laughed. Because here I was trying to be Mr. Independent Pants at seven. And Lexi's starting at four, I guess maybe I'm just getting what I deserve. No, anyway. I... <laughs> but this son thought, this guy, he was going to get chastised. He thought, I'm coming home, that's it. And so he decided in his heart that he'd be less than a son. And, and the father, not realizing that this is happening, would have been hoping every single day. See, for us, never stop praying for those around us to encounter the love of God. Never stop praying that people will come to their senses to understand that God is good. Because we may not see it in the natural, but we cannot see what is happening in someone's heart, in someone's mind. Never underestimate the power of prayer. Another one of our kingdom values, prayer fuels power. And so he had made this decision, the son returned home. And so then the father had a choice. See, we talk about the choices. The father had a choice to condemn or to redeem. Now, it's interesting because here when Jesus told this parable, the law was very clear. We've got to understand the context of where Jesus lived in this day. See, Deuteronomy 21 verses 18 to 21 said, If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and though they discipline him, will not listen to them, then his father and his mother shall take hold of him. And bring him out to the elders of his city at the gate of the place where he lives. And they shall, they shall say to the elders of his city, This is our son. He's stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones. You shall purge the evil from your midst. And all Israel shall hear and fear. And then in Deuteronomy 27, 16, it said, Cursed be anyone who dishonors his father or his mother, and all the people say, shall say, Amen. So Jesus would have been telling this parable, and all these people would have been thinking, Oh, man, this boy, he's, he deserves to be killed. <laughs> oh, absolutely. But then Jesus hit them with the bombshell, because the father did the exact opposite of what the law stated. He saw him from a distance, which leads me to believe that every single day the father would be going up, is today the day that he's coming home? Oh, I don't see him, okay. Is today the day that brother that you're praying for, that sister that you're praying for, that family member, that workmate, God stays there every day saying, is this the day that they're going to come and encounter me? Every single day. He saw from a distance. He wondered that. And even beyond that, he also wonders for those that are already here, that have already accepted Christ, is today the day that they will step into the purpose that I have for them? Yeah. And then he tells us that he didn't just walk on over, oh, hey, mate, good to see you again. He ran. He didn't care what other people thought. I mean, it's a funny image because back then, you know, they wear the robes and tassels and all these things. So you'd see this man with all these jiggly bits just running around after his kid. He didn't care what people thought of him didn't care because he had compassion. And the beautiful thing is that when he actually got to his son, he didn't chastise himself. See, I told you, you deserve what you got. He didn't say, no, you now have to prove yourself to me because you know what? You've hurt me, mate. You've got you've to come on, prove that you'll never do that again. You've got to earn my trust again. He didn't do that. In fact, he just gave his son the best. Verses 21 to 24. And so he started saying, you know, Father, I have sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Father's like, you know what? Let's stop. The father, out of his excitement, said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is now found. 
and they began to celebrate. See, the reason why it's so specific about what the father asked the servants to bring is because each of the things that he asked was a sign of acceptance and position. Let me explain. The robe of distinction set him apart as being part of the family, not being a servant. The signet ring of authority, that that signet ring represented that, you know what, you are part of this family. You have authority over those that you lead on this, on this property. The sandals like a son, slaves back in that day would be barefoot. And then the fattened calf, celebration, food. A good old Jewish barbecue back then. <laughs> See, for the father, his son was greater than the law. Beyond that, this is family. It's my heart. And, and, and Paul puts it so beautifully in Galatians 4, 4 to 6, where he says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And daughters encompasses both. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Abba, Father, Daddy. You know, in recent times, you know, I've had to go away for, for, for different things like leadership or for church. And, and one of the things that I love that when I get home is seeing my two little monkeys, they're going, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. When he talks about their in Galatians, Abba, Father, that's his heart for you and I. Not Lord. No, Daddy, God, Daddy, Father, what's yours is mine. Father, I long for you. And the Father has compassion for those he, he loves, which is everyone. But see, whenever we read this scripture, we mainly just focus on the compassion on the lost son. But compassion wasn't only extended to the lost son. He also had compassion for the loyal son. See, we read the story beyond that. Then the brother comes back and is like, what's up with all this commotion? He's told, hey, you know that brother that sort of left everything? He's back and they're checking this big party. And rather than, than actually feel the elation that his brother had come back, we read that he's actually disappointed, frustrated, angry. In that moment, he was trying to reconcile, how is it that I'm here and I, I've listened to and I've obeyed and I've done this and, and, and I don't even get a goat and yet... This guy literally tells my dad, you're as good as dead, and then he comes back. He felt unloved, very underappreciated. But the reality is, the reason why that occurred is because he focused on what he did and not who he was. And so, you know, the, the, that was a picture of what was happening at the time. And in Hosea 6.6, 6, you know, which is similarly happening in this day with Israel, God says, I want you to show love, not offer sacrifices. I want you to know me more than I want burnt offerings. I don't want performance. I don't want works. I want your heart. Yeah. And so in this situation, then the, the picture of the daddy saying, hey, all this was yours. You just had to ask. And again, the, the primary example when we read this story, we think of the Pharisees in the day, but this applies so much to us in this day as well, where we limit our relationship with God. It's just like a family lunch where we'll come one Sunday a week and just sort of hear what you've got to say to me, God, then go. It's very similar. We focus on the works of what we have to tick as opposed to what God wants, which is your heart. See, many of us, we work for him, but we don't know him. See, he was willing to do it all for his son. If only he had asked. 
Will you ask him today? Will you seek him today? Will today be the day where it's all about what is, but my lot in life? God, I've been in church for 20 years, and you know what? I'm still in the same spot. Why is that? You did not ask. Therefore, you did not receive. I would have given you everything if you had simply asked. I'm going to invite the band to come up. See, he is waiting not only for the lost. He's also waiting for those that are stuck in a rut. Whenever I picture what David speaks about in Psalm 139, where he says, you formed me in my mother's womb. I think of him looking at us and it's like, he's heartbreaking. I, I had so much more. I've got so much more for you. If only, if only you would not focus on what's around you, but you would focus on me. I have so much more. And then the other side of what I have for you is literally revival where you're going to see your families, your friends, your school, your schools, your workplaces, your communities transformed. But we get so caught up in the lot in life that we've gotten and what we don't have that like the older son as well, we lose sight of who's our father. He loves all his children equally. His love is greater than our greatest hurts and disappointments. His love is greater than the greatest triumphs that we'll have in life. And my heart today will be that you would come to understand God as a loving father. And if you've had a bad experience with your own earthly father, to set that aside and know that God, he, as one Psalm 39 said, whilst that happened there, he formed you for purpose. You, you might have had that bad experience, but it wasn't, well, God, God you know, obviously saw it happen. He didn't make it happen. But Genesis 50, 20, what others intended for harm, I will turn to good, says the Lord. And so no matter what experience that you've had, my heart would be that today you'd understand God as your Abba Father. That in your hour of greatest need, Romans 5.8 says, that God demonstrates his love for us in this, that whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That in our hour of great need, in our hour of great despair, God, every day is waiting. Is today the day you come home, my child? Thank you for joining us for this message today. It is an incredible privilege to share with you the Word of God and we trust that you've been blessed by listening. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today we want to extend an invitation to you to begin the faith journey of following Jesus. The Bible teaches us every one of us have been created for relationship with God. Sin has separated every one of us from that relationship, but God has provided a solution in giving us His Son, Jesus Christ. John 3.16 tells us that for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, so that whoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. You have an opportunity today to respond with a confession of faith and a decision to believe in Jesus. Today, we invite you to make a deliberate decision to invite Jesus Christ to be your personal Lord and Saviour. Romans 10.10 says that with our hearts we believe and are justified, and with our mouths we confess and we are saved. So right now, if you have faith in your heart and you're ready to make that decision, you can simply pray this prayer with me. Dear God, I thank you that you love me so much that you sent Jesus to die on the cross for me. Thank you that through his death and resurrection, I am forgiven of my sin to start a brand new life. Lord Jesus, I ask you to forgive me, cleanse me and to fill me with the power of your Holy Spirit. 
Today I choose you as my Lord and Saviour and I thank you that I am now born again as a child of God. Amen. If you prayed that prayer today, we would love to know and we would love to help you in any way that we can. You can contact us on our Bridge Church website, bridgechurch.com, and we'd love to hear from you. God bless you. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope you have been challenged and encouraged. 